We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. So it was a, a good little mini series that we went through, and it, it, I believe it ended up being a really good segue into this different series. The the reason we're calling it different, if you've uh, ever studied the the short letter that uh, Paul wrote, wrote to the church in First Peter, uh, five short chapters, but there is a ton, a ton of information there. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be jumping into several areas and I want to kind of lay that out for you this morning before we get into one of those Uh, and those focus areas it's really awesome to see how God continues to lay foundations Uh, this week we're going to be looking at different faith and trials next week we're going to be looking at a a different mindset when we're reaching out Um, and it's awesome because uh, Justin Laird is going to be preaching next uh, next weekend Um, and the Lord had already put that message on his heart before he knew we were doing a different series. Uh, And so it's just the way God's connecting the dots. We're going to look at different values in an unholy culture. Uh, We're going to be looking at a different calling in a dark world and a different perspective in the midst of persecution. Because church, I I want you to to catch this, that there is coming a day in our society, not just where people get upset because we speak truth, but where we're actually going to see ourselves being persecuted for truth. Like not, not the kind of, oh, you hurt my feelings, and then we're going to spat back the, the, quote, persecution that the American church thinks that it has had, where you share the gospel and somebody laughs at you. Not that. We're going to be talking about where it's already taking place in parts of our country where sharing the gospel in public is going to be an arrestable offense. And, and it's already taken place. I told you a story a few months ago about uh, a gentleman that was sharing the gospel with a, a couple of Muslim ladies in a mall, the Mall of America, here right in the United States. And somebody overheard that conversation, and because he was witnessing to the gospel of Jesus, the person that overheard him called the police, the police showed up, and they arrested him, claiming that he was being disorderly with his verbiage. So he was arrested for it. So there's coming a day in our society where you're not going to be able to live in a comfortable bubble where you go to church freely, where you just get to say what you want to say. It, it, like you, you think that I'm I'm not talking about political. I'm talking about in general. We're entering into a time where if we do not have a different faith and we do not recognize a different calling and take on a different mindset and, and, and change our perspective on some things, we're not going to be prepared for what's coming. And so I believe God placed this message series right in the midst of, uh, of an awesome opportunity for us. And uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of overview on, uh, on the book, from the book, and then uh, we'll jump into the, what, it, what Paul or Peter talks about specifically uh, when it pertains to our faith in the midst of trials. Um, it's, it's usually when you read a letter like this, you find the introduction be kind of the stated purpose of a letter. It's kind of the formal way, but Peter's writing is a little bit different. And so when you get to the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5, you actually find what his purpose was after you've read all the information. And Peter just says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. And he says, stand firm in this grace. And so from 
from all the information that Peter has just dropped into the ears of the church to the people that would read this letter and to us, he wants us to know now that all's been said, you're going to deal with a lot of stuff. And what's going to take place is going to be a refining process. Because here's the deal, folks. You can't believe in a God who is sovereign over all and think that persecution doesn't come from Him. Wait, what? Yeah, I would rather know that God is over all of that than to think that somebody can thwart God's plan for my life. So there's going to come a, a season where our faith is going to be tested. There's been seasons in your own life that you've gotten to this point in your walk with the Lord that you've had tests. And you've probably failed some of those tests, as have I. And then you've had more tests, and you may have passed those tests, and then you had more tests, and you may have failed those tests. It's, it's going to continue, and, and Peter just wants you to, to understand this up front as the Lord would have us to understand. The only way that we recognize what we're truly experiencing is part of God's grace is we have to have a different view of who God is, what our faith is about, and what our purpose is in this. So as he as he opens the letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells us prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, a lot of people would translate this and say that's when Jesus returns, but the the reality is is when the gospel actually takes root in your life is when Jesus Christ has been revealed to you. And so as believers, there is a revelation of Christ that has got to take place in your life. Like there is a clear-cut moment in your history that you recognize Jesus for who He is. It's not just one of those things that you just continue to go to church and you continue to hear the gospel and you're like, you know what, I think this may be, I, I, this is just who I am. No, 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 it's not how that works. We're going to look at some of those things in just a minute. And he says in, and he says later in his letter that once you've got this and you're self-controlled, he said, here's what the manifestation of that looks like, and here's how life begins to flow in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, as good stewards of this grace, of the grace that God's given you, the fruit that produces, you've got an internal thought that you've recognized Jesus Christ. Now there's an external thought that's going to play out in your life. He says, use whatever gift that you have received to serve one another. So ultimately, your life is not like one of those happy little bubbles that you live in. The fruit of the gospel taking root in your life is that your life is no longer about you. It's, it's You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you and I that live. It's now Him who lives through us. He says, so when the gospel takes root in your life, when Christ is real in your life, your main objective is to serve Him by serving others. And so everything that you do, whatever gifts God has given you, whatever talent that you have, whatever ability that He's planted within you, that's what He says we're supposed to do to serve the Lord. So we're going to look at this over these next several weeks. Faith, mindset, values, calling, persecution, and see what, what First Peter and what God's Word expanded says about that. So as we look today about what it, what it means to have a different faith in trials, I, I, I take you back, if you're not familiar with my teaching, I do jump around a lot in the Scriptures. Uh, and, and so don't get upset. I know some of you are turning as fast as you can. But uh, it's uh, it, the Lord just kind of starts opening things up to us. But in First Peter chapter one, 
verse 1, this is where we're going to start our message today. Uh, this won't be on your screen, but it just says, uh, it's that typical greeting. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says something right here from the very beginning that we need to allow ourselves to take root. It says, to the exiles of the, dis of the dispersion. Like, I've never paid attention to that, but he's, it, and it's not just dispersion like lowercase, it's capitalized. So it's a, it's a proper event that took place in history, and it's not just like some random dispersion. And if you go and you look at what he's talking about, he starts naming places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All of those, were, all of those locations were present the day of Pentecost. So when the Holy Spirit came in, on, the, on the disciples, on the initial apostles, all of these regions are represented in that, in that place. And so the dispersion is, it's not just we went back home or we went to a new place. He says you're an exile in these places now, meaning you're an alien there. It's not your home anymore. You've received the Spirit of God. You've been, you've been penetrated with the gospel. You've, you've got the Holy Spirit. Now you've got a job to do. And so in these areas, in these regions, the encouragement that I want to prepare you for is that you're going home, but it's not home anymore. And so you now have a new residence, a new address. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and you can't live, look, and act like everybody else does when you go home. And, and so we see, we see what he immediately tells us in, in this initial dispersion of the gospel is that there's going to have to be some changes in your life. And it's not changes that you make, it's changes that Christ begins to work in you. And then it starts to manifest in behavior. So we think and we've taught, I, look I grew up in church and as a student pastor and a children's pastor for years, uh, like when you would interview at churches, the churches were like, just give our kids something to do and babysit our teenagers once a week. Like that's all people really wanted in the church. And I ask the question, what happens if we teach our children to honor our fathers and our mothers, but we never teach them about Jesus? What have we done? We missed the point. We, we left Jesus out of the equation and mama and daddy became the idol. So we've done no good for anybody. So it's a changing of our thinking, of our faith, of our mindset. And so when we see this word that comes up, this exile, it means that we've got to take a stance that we no longer reside in this land. We're just sojourners. That's another way that word is, is actually uh, translated. Sojourners and aliens, and we don't take residence here anymore. So when we recognize that, when we start seeing the word trials that's going to be prevalent throughout First Peter, we realize that trials don't necessarily mean the negative connotation that we thought it to mean. Because you're going to find opposition when you stand in opposition to what the world is trying to tell you. And so when you realize that if God is sovereign over all, I'm no longer a resident of this world but of His world, then it's not really a, quote, trial anymore, is it? Because we know where we stand. We've, we've dug ourselves in into a faith that looks a little bit different and we can stop asking the question that so many of us ask when we face things why would the God of the universe who loves me allow these things to happen why would I go through this financial situation if God wants me to be able to give to be able to see the gospel move forward why would God put me in this situation where my family is in constant 
turmoil where the kids never listen and we're constantly fighting with one another. Why would God allow that? And we realize that we're still trying to fight battles the way the world fights battles. We're still trying to wage war the way the world wages war. And when we simply see the answer to this is, is, is one simple thing, that when we experience the pushback of the world and even in our own households, it is not something that's negative, but something that's supposed to grow us. And so the simple answer to it is this. Facing a trial is God testing our faith. And what comes out on the other side of that testing reveals the kind of faith that you have. And so if that's the case, and there's a genuine faith that the Scriptures talk about, 1 Peter 1, 6-7, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have to be grieved by various trials. And he says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. What if the test, the trial, the things that you're facing is not such a bad thing and it's actually revealing the kind of faith that you have? And what if the faith that you have has got nothing to do with God but has got everything to do with you? Because God's trying to grow us up in our faith. And so when we're facing trials and we're facing the, the things that this world's going to throw at us, even, listen, even from the church. Like, we're going to face trials amongst each other. It's not just us against the world. It's not a us versus anybody. The enemy that we face is not a person here. It's a power and principality that's beyond our sight. And so it's just puppeteered in order to make us believe that what's taking place is not what the Scripture says is taking place. It's just a, it's just a testing to see the genuineness of your faith. And so, if there's a genuineness to faith, I, I felt like the Lord led us to this place. And, and I want to show you some things that as we're having our faith tested, maybe the reason that we're so willing to just throw our hands up and blame God for everything, maybe we don't have a genuine faith. And so, I, I want to show you just a, a few things. There's, there's a lot, actually, in Scripture that talks about this, but... I think most prevalent among the church today are these three areas. And so uh, the first one is an inherited faith. Like we see the word inheritance and we immediately think, you know, it's not a bad thing. That means that my parents passed their, their faith and their values on to me and there's some value in that. But they can't pass Jesus on to me if Jesus never speaks and, and actually saves me. And so you've got a church full of people young and old that have lived on an inherited faith that never was made personal for them. And you know it because they, they'll share their testimony and there's no clear-cut, decisive place in that story that Jesus intervened in their timeline. There's got to be one of those. There's not a story in Scripture where, where there was not a moment in time where Jesus changed everything in the people's lives that He came in contact with. And it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to fall into this place. And it reminds me of the picture of the, of the woman at the well that Jesus encounters. And, you know, he's not supposed to talk to this girl because she's a Samaritan, number one. Number two, she's a woman. And so she, he has this conversation. He reveals himself to her. And we know the outcome of that story in John chapter 4. She goes home, like, ready to tell everybody about Jesus. And so most of us leave the story right there. It actually says in John 4, 39, it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. Well, that's a great thing. 
But the story doesn't end there because it's not their testimony yet. They just simply are exploring a faith. And if they stayed there with an inherited faith, it's not going to ever be able to be proven genuine. And I'll show you what it says in Scripture. In John 4.42, just after this takes place, it said, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We had a personal encounter. Not just your testimony, but a personal encounter. God uses our testimony, but if we don't ever give people an opportunity to meet the risen Savior, we fall short. And so it says very clearly right there, and listen, one of the reasons that the church is so ineffective today is because we've got so many people walking around with an inherited faith that they cannot articulate where Jesus came into their story. They've heard the Sunday school lessons, they've listened to the preachers, and it doesn't matter because nothing's ever changed in their life. And so you, can't, you cannot have an inherited faith and expect to see your faith be tested and get through it. The, other, the, the next one is a shallow faith. So we get past this, we have, we've, hey, we've got that personal encounter, but these folks remain in the same place all the time. Like I know that there's a, a lot of, if you theologically think on this, that you know, there's arguments on both sides that you know, if you're not growing, then you're not really saved. And, and, and in some cases, I can believe that if there's a place where you're backsliding to a point where sin is just comfortable and you want to stay there all the time. Now, there's a difference between that and having a true encounter and struggling and failing miserably. Because we, we know that the failing part of it, the shallow faith just comes when we keep failing and we keep failing and we're not failing at new failures. We're failing at the same thing over and over again. So shallow faith comes in when we constantly go back to the same well to drink the wrong water. We're going back to the same thing because it's always been comfortable. And in the church, you hear the same kind of terminology all the time, and it's just my cross to bear. And we can, you know, we can judge not lest you be judged. You know all the popular little catchphrases. We even say that one in King James, and people don't even read the King James Bible anymore. Like thou shalt, you know, I mean, you don't even read that, so why do you say it that way? But it's that shallowness that, that ends up destroying. And here's the thing, like when God starts testing, this gets revealed. Just like genuine faith gets revealed, a shallow faith can be revealed just as quickly. And listen, church, it's not a bad thing because, listen, an inherited faith and a shallow faith is still a redeemable faith. So I'm not saying this just to be negative. We just need to know where we are. We need to understand what, our, what, what God's testing is revealing about us faithfully so that we can say, Oh God, I'm failing. I, I need you to redeem this part of my life so that I can move forward. I need you to, to help me get through this. And I go back to the Old Testament Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. This is a, this is, these are the people of God. He says, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. He's talking about those shallow faith people. Like things got tough and we running. And you listen, you've got to fight against that because there's a lot of prosperity gospel being preached in the American church. If you're if you're doing things right, then God's blessing. And if God's blessing, then you've got health, wealth and prosperity. And it's not true. 
It's not going to be true. I'm not going to tell you that God doesn't want you to be prosperous, but He's not going to prosper you that way. He's prospering you faithfully so that you can move forward. So if He chooses to give you more finances, it's because He's trusting you with that to steward it. So it's, it's just a matter of how we move forward. So the shallow faiths and the inherited faiths have an opportunity to be redeemed, but they also have an opportunity to keep us eternally separated. And the last one is the conditional faith. You see this in the church a lot as well. When we don't get the prosperity, when we don't get the health, wealth, and the everything, we don't stay connected. We don't stay committed. We, we, don't, we don't like when things don't go our way. And so it's conditional. If you can put a condition on it, and you can say, well, if the church doesn't meet this expectation, then I can walk out. If you can do that with the church, you can do that with God. Because God's Word actually tells us that it's easier for us to connect with people than it is for us to connect with God. We have this idea, and it's floating around, that we can be disconnected little beings over here in our little huddle at home and believe that we can be connected to the Lord and not connect to the church. And God's Word clearly says that it's easier to connect to the church because it's people than it is to connect to God. Because let's be honest, God's a difficult person to please in our own efforts, in our own opportunity. And when, when we start trying to condition and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you as long as A, B, and C is the right way, so when you're tested, it's going to be revealed. But it's still redeemable. And so what does, what does all this amount to? Here's what it amounts to. I want to show you two additional things that these trials that you may even be dealing with today are revealing about your faith. The first thing is the trials reveal your faith. It's, it's not something that, that trials are trying to kill your faith. Trials are not trying to hamper or hinder your faith. We can have the God versus the devil mentality all we want to, but I'll never put the devil on the same pedestal as God because he's not as powerful as he is. Now, he can deceive us and he can defeat us, but he will never, ever, ever defeat my God. And so the trials simply reveal our faith. 1 Peter 1, 7 tells us, these, talking about trials, have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. So when you're facing something, whatever trial it may be that comes against you in the name of Jesus, it's so that Jesus can be put on display in your life. And when you change your thinking and you change your mentality and you change the way that you approach your faith and you realize that this is just simply God saying, I'm trusting you with more or I'm wanting to trust you with more, here's why I'm testing you. You can go, wow, God's wanting to give me something more. You may, be, you may be somebody that's being tested relationally right now. And God's testing you relationally to see if you can handle other relationships. He may be testing you with financial hardship right now to see if you're going to handle your money the right way. We don't think about it in those terms. But God's not going to give us more if we can't be trusted with little. He says, if I can trust you with little, then I'll start increasing. So if we're dealing with tension in different places and we're like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? We've got to change the way that we look at our faith. We've got to start remembering that God uses this in order for us to do what the latter part of verse 7 in 1 Peter 1 says. 
it says that here's the result of all of this. When your faith is proven genuine, this is what's supposed to be the response. It's supposed to be that we're going to praise Jesus, that we're going to glorify God, and we're going to honor the name of Christ. It's all written right there in His Word. I'll go back and I'll read it to you. It's not going to be on your screen, but I'll read you exactly what it says. It says, that, it says that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. When you finally grasp the fact that the trials you're facing are not to destroy you but to build you up, you're going to start wanting to praise God for the fact that you're in the midst of it. It's why Paul ran around all the time writing all of his letters in prison. I mean, he's in prison and he's like, man, it's so good to be alive. Like, you would think this dude would be like, if he's like us in the modern church, he's like, why am I in prison again? Why am I dealing with this? No, he said, I've got to use this for the glory of God and to tell the church that, hey, it's coming to you too. You need to be prepared for it. And we need to be excited about this. We need to recognize that if we're facing a trial, we do what even what even the Scripture says in, in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance like how many times have we seen that scripture we've read it and we we quote believe it but when we're in the midst of it we never ever remind ourselves of that and so when our faith is getting tested we don't think about it's about perseverance can I make it through this can I, with the power of the Holy Spirit, staying rooted and grounded in the gospel, make it through the trial that I'm going through right now? Trials are meant to reveal your true faith. He goes on in 1 Peter, it says, here's like the big gist of it, and this is why we're going to experience this in our culture. 1 Peter 4.17 says that, For it is time for judgment to begin, and it's not going to be thrown down on the world. It says it's going to begin at the household of God. It's not Michael's words. Peter wrote it. It's God's word. It says, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If we can't endure the trial of faith, then the outside world's not going to be able to endure it. And so it's supposed to drive us to stay grounded and rooted when we realize that God's revealing our faith. So that when people who do not know Jesus come in contact with issues in life, we've got a hope that we can offer them. We've got a source of life that we can send them to that's not me and it's not you. Because we can't offer anybody anything that's going to change anything. No matter how much we try. But we do have, we do have a God who changes everything. It's interesting when you think about Peter because Peter's the same guy that denied Christ three times on the night that he was betrayed by Judas. And as he's going, as they're taking, as they're taking Jesus back to, to stand trial, he's hiding in the night, wearing his cloak over his head. It's dark. They're burning all these lanterns and stuff so you can barely see him. And he's huddled around the fire and it's like this little servant girl. So when they say a little servant girl, they're talking about like a young girl. Says, hey, aren't you one of them? Uh-uh, ain't me. But now you got a guy that writes this letter. And if you're not familiar with what's taking place, let me just kind of share with you what's taking place. Uh, the estimation of when Peter writes this letter is during the reign of Nero. 
And when Nero started persecuting the church, it started with a great fire in the city. And he blamed the church. He blamed Christians for starting the fire so that he could persecute the church. It burned most of the town. People lost their lives. He did it intentionally. And they immediately started blaming the church. You know what they did with the church? They started dipping them in oil and hanging them on posts and burning them as lanterns to light the city. That's persecution. Because they believe in Jesus. The same Jesus that we're called to believe in now. Now, I don't, I don't believe that it'll ever get that bad in our society until right before Jesus comes back. It's going to. So if you think you're dealing with some things, think for a minute what the brothers and sisters who have laid a foundation for us to be able to walk into these trials with a faith that is different had to endure. The trials that you are facing are only there to reveal your true faith. And here's the great thing about it. Just like Peter, no matter how many times you failed, whether you denied Christ three times or not, there's going to be other opportunities if you keep getting back up and you keep saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Once, you're, once your faith is revealed, the trials are actually this, and this is where I want to close today. Trials are intended to draw us closer to the Lord. Ask anybody in a relationship what galvanized the relationship. It's when you go through hard times. You're going to make a decision whether this relationship is valuable to you or not. Whether it's a marital relationship, a relationship between your kids when they're grown or whatever. When, when you get into a place where things are tough and it's hard and it's difficult, it shows you, it shows you what you're building your relationship foundation on. It's the same principle that we have with the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, it says, You love God even though you have not seen Him. Though you do not see Him, you trust Him. You trust Him. You trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. So you are getting a perk in this relationship from a person who gets nothing but you in return. That doesn't seem like a fair trade to me. I mean, you guys look great this morning. But I know me personally, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that the reward that I get doesn't pale in comparison to the reward that he receives because his, his reward was torture. His reward was shame and guilt on my behalf. It doesn't make sense. That's why we can't define it by the way the world defines it. We have to go to God's Word to define our faith, the different faith that we've got to cling to in the midst of trials. Hear me on this. Whatever you're facing is not a judgment from the Lord. I know there's a lot that will stand up in front of you and say that it absolutely is God pronouncing judgment. It could be. But it's not exclusively. Because God is, God is putting us through trials that can be just the natural flow of us living in a sinful world. We could be going through trials as a result of hostility that other people have towards the gospel. Got nothing to do with you or me. It's the, the hostility towards the gospel. And then it could be that we need to get into alignment because we're being disobedient in an area of our life. 
So there's a lot of ways that this plays out. And if we focus on those, we'll drive ourselves nuts. That's why we focus on the relationship. A different faith in the midst of trials simply recognizes that I'm going to change my thinking, change my mindset about what my, what my trial is actually trying to accomplish. It's refining me. It's changing me. It's giving me the ability to say, you know what, I don't have to know exactly why I'm going through what I'm going through. I'm going to trust who is walking with me through it. And if we can do that, we can begin to have a different kind of faith in the midst of our trial. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.